Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. Almost three years have passed and there hasn't been a single drop of rain. Now this shouldn't really be a surprise to the nation of Israel because their king Ahab has turned his back on God. Influenced by his wife, to worship pagan gods on behalf of the nation. And on the day that he decided that, a local prophet prayed that there be no more rain in the land of Israel. And so desperate, years now with no water coming from the skies, King Ahab sent his servant Obadiah to go and try to find grass for his horses to eat something for them to drink and to eat and so they don't die off from anywhere. Go search the kingdom anywhere, please. And so on his quest, on Obadiah's quest, he, to go find the king's horses, something to eat, he sees a figure of a man on the road as he's traveling. And he sees this figure walking toward him. Is that, is that who I think it is? Oh, surely not. He hasn't been seen since, well, since the rain stopped. And as the man came closer and closer down on the same road, Obadiah fell to his knees, for he knew exactly who it was. And he said with his face down, is it really you? Is this really you? Yes, the man replied. Go tell the king that Elijah is here. Now, this wasn't going to be news that the king would necessarily want to hear on that day. Elijah had been hiding for the last three years, hiding from the king's sword, in fact. And when the two finally met, when the king and Elijah came face to face, the king immediately blamed Elijah for the drought. How dare you show your face around these parts? And Elijah was very quick to remind him that it was you that left the covenant relationship with the God of Israel. And so to put this matter to rest, to finally be done with it, and to put it behind us, Elijah told the king to go bring all 450 prophets of the pagan god Baal to Mount Carmel. And there he put their god to the test. He says, we'll both lay a sacrifice bull on the altar, is what he tells them. He says, first you will pray that your God will consume this offering by fire. And then I will pray for my God to do the same. And then he said, and the God that does is the true God. They agreed. Sounds easy enough. And so the pagan prophets, they laid their sacrifice down and they began to pray right there on the mountain. They prayed throughout the morning. 
which then turned to afternoon, which turned into evening, praying to consume their sacrifice. Frustrated, these prophets shouted to their God, answer us, answer us, take your sacrifice. There was no answer, no response. And so Elijah, he then placed his sacrificed bull on the altar. But he did something a little different. He dug a trench around it, a big hole. And then he went and poured 12 large containers, jars of water on the offering. Drenched it, soaked it all the way through on the wood, the soil, to the point where the trench was now filled with water. And then Elijah stepped forward and he prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and all of Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, so these people will know that you are God and that you are turning your hearts back again. And the scripture says that the fire from the heavens immediately came down and consumed the offering. In fact, the fire was so strong that it consumed the bull, it consumed the wood, the soil, and all of any of the closest ounce of water that was on the ground was completely gone, licked off the earth. And then immediately, as the people of Israel and the prophets saw this, they all fell to their knees and they cried, the Lord, the God of Elijah is the true God. Powerful are the prayers of the righteous when used to turn back people's hearts to God. Powerful. Let's pray. Father, we just come now and offer this time for you to do your work in us. Lord, we open our scripture now so that you can speak directly to us. We open our hearts and remove any distractions. If there's anything inside of us that needs to be worked out or needs to be taken care of, Father, may we, may we just be ready and be responsive and open to that. Lord, as we go through this, we also understand that we're the church, we're made of humans. So we want to make sure, Lord, that as we are preaching this and teaching this, it is directly your gospel and nothing else. So, Lord, I pray if I say anything that's wrong to correct me, Lord, because I want, I, like Elijah, want people to know that you are the God. So, Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're finishing today our series on the book of James, and we're going to do so by looking at the final verses here in chapter 5. It only doesn't seem like five chapters should take this long, should it? But man, James has got some pretty heavy stuff in there. And so here we are today in chapter 5, finishing James, and we're focusing on what exactly, what exactly does James leave us with as we're finishing up. I mean, after all, for the last several weeks, several chapters, he's been really kind of beating us up a little bit. 
And after we all feel like that, we have nothing left to give after everything that James has been pouring into us really strictly, real pretty firmly. He's been hitting, he's been really giving it to us. He wants to end his letter with a question. And so he writes down, he asked, is there any one of you that is suffering? He's already given us everything. He's, he's, he's really drilled into us. But here, before he puts his pen down, he just says, is there anyone here that's suffering? And so then James writes down, then that person should pray. Is there anyone here that's happy? He writes. Well, let that person sing songs of praise. Now, what an interesting two very different contrast things to put next to each other. That those suffering should pray. And those who are actually happy and experiencing joy, they should sing praises. Now, James is wanting us, the believers, here, I really think, really, to eliminate any complaining from our vocabulary. I think that's what he's trying to really get down on the paper here, is that he wants us, the believers in the church, not to fall into the practice of complaining to one another and, and try to really giving each other shovels to get deeper and deeper and deeper as we do this. But instead of complaining, James is saying, how about you try praying to the true God? Do, go before him when you're troubling, when you're suffering. And if you are not in a season of suffering, he says, then we're instructed to sing his praises in lieu of. Now, the important thing here, when I was going through this, the important thing is to recognize that these two things come in seasons. There, all of us have a season of suffering. And then all of us have seasons of happiness and joy. And it's important, as the church that we are not to look at those in the season of suffering with discontent. And likewise, we are not to look at those with joy, with jealousy. Each of us will go through both of these seasons. And what we are promised in the church, what God is promising us, and something that he doesn't promise the world, but his, only his children, what he promises is the strength of the Lord, that we can lean on him this is the church, the gift that he's given to us, that God is present when we're suffering, that God is present when we're joyful. Now, this doesn't take away, of course, that God is not present in the world. Of course he is. But those of us in the church, we know it. We know he's there. We know where we can turn to. And he promises that he will respond. Now, James, after he kind of writes that down here at the end, we turn to a little bit of a different topic, something that probably really then they dealt with, and I think this is really relevant for us today. James then writes down, is there any one of you that's sick? Is there anyone who is sick? And he writes, he should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now this one, this instruction, is really important to pay attention to as believers. You see, the first two commands were things that you did by yourself. If you're suffering, then you pray. If you're joyful, then you sing. But here, 
is this command says, if you are sick, then to bring in the elders of the church. That we are not to take this one by ourselves. And so James advises us to, to seek out the elders of the church so that they can pray over us. Well, the question is, who are the elders? Who is that? The elders are the designated leaders of that church. That's who they are. In the army, here in Gwinnett, that would be your core officers and the core council. These are your elders. And when you're dealing with true sickness, something that you know is hard to overcome, James advises us to reach out to the elders so that they can pray over you. And the scripture also right here references the use of anointing oil for the sick. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about oil. Now, this is a foreign concept to many of us, the use of anointing oil. This isn't a practice that we use often. And not just in the army, but many denominations don't use that practice. Many don't. And so I wanted to dive in. I wanted to really kind of just scratch down a little bit and let's figure out about this oil. And so in my research, I, I really wanted to see what James was referencing. And we see throughout scripture, we see it all the time, the use of oil throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament. Oil is, is, is something that is one of the things that Israel has plenty of. There's so much oil. In fact, when it's translated into English, the words Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus asked his father if there was another way. Is there another way, Lord? If you translate that into English, it literally translates to oil press garden, which is only downhill, by the way, from the Mount of Olives, the source where oil comes from. So it's all running together here. And having a few years ago the opportunity myself to travel to Israel, I can tell you firsthand that the best oil I have ever tasted is from that land. And this also goes for their honey. There is no honey on this earth that is as good as the one that comes from the land of Israel. This is because I believe, this is me now, I believe that the Lord has blessed that land to produce those things and they're growing. And so, in biblical times, anointing oil was used for pri four primary reasons, four, four primary things, is what I've discovered and read. The first thing that they would use anointing oil for, or oil in general, would be hospitality. Honoring a guest who came over to your home. You would anoint them, you would give them oil. And it would be a sign of respect when they came into your presence. The next would be ceremonial. This would be happen when a king would take the throne. They would then anoint that king to be the leader of Israel. The next was ecclesiastical. This was specifically for healing the sick, that they would use these oils. And the last one was sanctifying, is to set something or someone apart for holy use. They would anoint that. They would sanctify that. There's actually instruction in Leviticus on how to make the oil, what ingredients to use, how to mix it, when the times are to use it. 
And we also see throughout scripture that they would use oil for the dead, for particularly in burial to cover the smell. And so the question is, what was James meaning here? When he said to summon the elders and to use oil, to anoint them with oil, what was he referencing to? Well, there is actually a cultural thing that we have to understand in order to see why James suggested oil right away, immediately. See, oil, especially during the biblical times, was used for medical purposes. Oil was the go-to medicine of that day, much like Tylenol is for us, at least it is in my house. Tylenol or ibuprofen. I can tell you right now, if, if it hurts right about right here, I'm putting some ibuprofen on, you know? And it's our go-to, right? Don't need a special prescription for it. You can just go pick it up over the counter. Well, this is like oil. It was when an individual fell ill, they would take the oil and they would rub it over their body. It was widely believed to have healing properties. And so that would be kind of what mom did when the little one was sick. And so the question again is, which is James referring to? What oil is James referring to? Is it the medical one, just to go slap some oil on there and let's get the elders? Or was it an anointing oil, like ecclesiastical one from Leviticus? Well, the answer is, there's absolutely no way of knowing. No way of knowing. He could have been referencing either one. Either one. But hear me when I say this. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because the oil here in this verse, which many will try to make that the main thing, is the oil. They will focus on it. They would, they would make that the important thing from there. But that wasn't what they, the thing that James was trying to get across. So what was it? Well, he tells us, and we find it in verse 15. He writes, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that, so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. The prayer offered in faith will bring healing. It was not the physical placement of oil on your body, but the faith of the one who prayed is the one. That, this is what James was getting across is let's, take, let's remove the power from these earthly things, but it's the power of a righteous prayer. The one who prayed, this is in faith, is what brings healing. And we see this truth all throughout Scripture. We see it throughout the New Testament. Jesus healing. He healed the blind. He healed the lame. He healed the sick all the time. And what was his response to each of them when he did so? He said, your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. But I must tell you that I personally don't think that James here in chapter 5 is just referring to physical healing. I do believe wholeheartedly that he's referring to a spiritual healing as well. Here, he writes, if he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Oh, wait a minute, that doesn't, that's not a physical thing, is it? It says, if he sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. 
Our father was, was never, was never just about physical healing. This was never his main thing, was just physical healing. From the very beginning, the word became flesh. So that the flesh can submit to the word. The flesh can, can submit to the word. Your spiritual healing is far more important than any physical healing. Now, do we desire physical healing as believers? Of course we do. I don't like feeling bad. I'm going to tell you, I'll be the first in line for that. And I, and I desire physical healing just like anybody else. And I'm not saying that he won't give it to you. In fact, I would confidently stand right here and say that he would. Because this is the God we serve. But your spiritual condition is of greater concern for James. And it's even a great more concern for the Lord God. And so that's scripture. The scripture, perhaps, is the most important. What comes next? The next thing that James writes, I think, is perhaps the most important piece of chapter 5. He writes, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful. It's powerful and effective. Now, a righteous man defined here right now in chapter 5 is someone who understands that his own righteousness comes directly from Jesus. That whose own personal walk, that that individual's personal walk is consistent over and over again with the righteousness that is displayed in Christ. That this is a righteous man, a righteous woman. That this is a person. It, there should be a clear visual evidence of righteousness in a person. There should be clear visual evidence of righteousness inside of a person. So what James is saying here is, is when we are hurt physically, perhaps a sickness, perhaps something that's overcome our physical bodies, something that's intruded into our lives, it has altered it, it's changed it, something outside of our control. When this comes inside of us, he says, first to confess our sins and to reach out to those who are righteous to pray over you. James, I'm going to tell you right now, he is not saying this. I do not want you to hear this. He is not saying that, you're, that you are sick because of your sins. He's not saying that. Instead, he is saying, use this as an opportunity to also be cleansed spiritually when you're now in this position. That when we are going under a physical illness, James is saying that what better time than now to confess your sins and then to be made spiritually pure and clean during this time. Which brings us, by the way, back to Elijah. Back to the prayer of a righteous man. Elijah, he prayed for the rain to stop. And then three years later, he prayed for it to start again. Not to give Elijah any power, not to symbolize the power that Elijah has 
over the weather, but no, to show the nation of Israel that the power of prayer from a righteous man, especially when that prayer is being used to bring lost people home. This here is when we pray to bring people back to Jesus. This is what Elijah did. This is what we're called to do. This is what James is writing. And so James, he finishes his letter here, his last, his last verse, his last sentence here in the book. He writes with the very exact same heart that Elijah had on that day, standing on the mountain. He writes, my brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring them back, remember this, Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. And so maybe, just maybe, James wrote this letter right here with all of his direct and sometimes harsh expectations of being a believer, that maybe he wrote this letter just so that we could be ready at a moment's notice to bring the lost home. Maybe this is what the book of James was about all along. I told you at the beginning that our faith wasn't about me alone. It wasn't about you alone. It's about us. It's always been about us. The things that we do, it's about us. This is our faith. Our faith isn't based on our geographical location. It isn't based on the color of our skin. It's not based on any of these things. Our faith is based on unity. It's based on the cross, on salvation. This is what James is writing in his book. That as we've gone through the book, we've now gone through five five chapters of James. The reality is that there may be things that you're not struggling with that was mentioned already in the last several weeks. We've maybe covered topics that were something that, that that's not really a thing that I'm struggling with, Captain, or it's something that I've put that issue to bed a while back. I remember that one, and I have been sanctified by Jesus not to return. And I'm gonna tell you that there are also things in this book that are waiting for us in the future. They're waiting for just to pop its head out. So I'm going to tell you this. Is that thousands of years later, when James is now no longer here on this earth with us, but his words are, that the book of James is something that we can keep, we should keep, in our back pocket for when it comes. And I will tell you, it will come. And if there is ever anything, ever, that I could be of assistance in your spiritual journey, your spiritual walk, if you ever need the elders to pray over you and your family, or may I stand before you as righteous to do so, and to reach out. This is the church. We just went through a pretty tough book but we do so because we do it in love. And we do knowing that we're not alone. So we're just gonna take a few moments now. I can do anything fancy or anything like that, just a few moments. 
as we're wrapping up this book, if there's anything inside these, these words, this letter, that's, that's eating at your heart, I want you to come and pray. If there's anything here that is maybe, maybe someone in your family, you can see that wandering soul who's just about out of the door. Will you be the righteous person to come and pray them back? To pray them back. Because James just said, blessed is the man. That prayer is powerful and effective. So let's do that. Let's really believe what we actually believe, right? Like, let's just do it. You know someone that needs to come home or pray them home. You know someone that's sick right now, has fallen under illness, pray for it. Really do it. And if you right now, one of these topics are jumping out at you, come and pray to cleanse your heart. There's no shame in that. It's a celebration. Let's pray. refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.